welcome to episode 94 of the Swamp Flicks podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. I'm James Cohn. And we are recording in James's apartment in Mid-City, New Orleans. And this is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamp Flicks. And it's also a very Neil Breen Halloween. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> I am scared of this man. <laughs> <laughs> and his slender fingers. Uh, it's more of his like uh, nut job conspiracy theories. Oh, I thought it was his <laughs> physical body, his hairless. He's a strange looking man. He's very odd. Yeah. A lot of people like to laugh at his movies. I um, kind of expected to have a good fun Tommy Wiseau type time with this. It's a whole different animal here. I've never seen any of his films before, and it's the most scared I've been all Halloween season this year is watching these movies. Yeah. So. Same. <laughs> been watching nothing but horror movies and. Some of these were more terrifying. Yeah, it cuts through. So, yeah, expect a lot of um, pushback against Neil Breen's ideology later in this episode, because that's really what stuck out to me in these like crop of movies we picked out to talk about today. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to defend him. That's the scariest thing of all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to. Well, what have you been watching besides Neil Breen movies? Well, like I said, just a lot of horror films, but in the past... Um, week or so the two that really stand out uh i finally saw relaxer which it's from the director that did buzzard which yeah, i have mixed feelings on that one on buzzard yeah i liked buzzard pretty okay i thought relaxer was like it wasn't like outsider art but it's definitely about like just a loser on the fringes of society just kind of rotting away in his apartment and it's very gross his body is just physically disgusting He's vomiting, he's shitting and pissing. It's just like, just gross. It's like gross and kind of like sophomoric sort of humor. And he's basically just rotting on his couch while the apocalypse happens. And it's uh, it's pretty fun. And I liked it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested in it. The concept's kind of like he just won't leave his couch or something. Or Yeah, so his like brother basically challenges him to beat the like highest level of Pac-Man okay. <laughs> or whatever. And so it's sort of like, you know, him daring him to do this. And then it kind of becomes a psychological thing where he just like kind of tells himself he can't leave from the couch. And then all these characters start coming in, but he's just like glued to the TV. And so there is like a commentary there on like, I guess, gamer culture and being depressed and consuming media in a way so there is that kind of going on. And it's also like treating your bed like a toilet is part of it. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that happens is he like vomits on himself. And so he's just kind of wallowing in his own filth while the world collapses around him. Would you call it a horror film? Yeah. In a, in a way. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's trying to be a horror film necessarily, but the idea of it is horrifying. And also like knowing people in my life or like having friends have gone through depression where they just like can't leave the couch and are just playing video games for like 12 hours a day. Yeah. Just escaping. Yeah. Escape. It, it like kind of rang true. So anyway, yeah, it, it was good. I would definitely recommend it. That at least sounds more focused than buzzard. Like in that one, the kid, I mean, there's a video game element to that too. Cause he changes that like game boy glove into like a uh, Freddy Krueger glove. Right. Uh, but basically just does these like minor griffs for no reason. And like eats spaghetti at a nice hotel, just wanders around town, like ruining other people's days. But there's no like point to it. It's just kind of aimless. 
this is kind of aimless too, but there's a little more of a point, but it's, I could tell this director is into those kind of characters. Yeah. Just like complete outsiders. Wasteoids. Wasteoids. Yeah. And I don't know. I find those kind of characters appealing and interesting. It's a very like 90s, like Gen X kind of thing that like slackered them to definitely, the extreme. Yeah, definitely. Besides that, I finally got around to watching Glass. I love that movie. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we've talked about M. Night Shyamalan yeah. on this podcast before, and I'm a huge fan and I was a huge fan of Split. And I had heard mixed reviews about Glass, so I kind of held off finally watching. And when I did, I was blown away. I thought it was really, really good. Like, I didn't see what the hate was about. Yeah. Like, he's created his own little universe. And I thought it was interesting, the story told about, you know, it's all in their head. Or is it? Or is it? <laughs> you know, and that's a little ridiculous because we know it's not yeah. in their head. But just kind of seeing that play out. And again, I thought, um, what's the actor's James name? McAvoy? Yeah. Yeah. He He's carried, incredible. He carried this movie. I mean, Bruce Willis was basically sleepwalking. Not there. Yeah. He wasn't there. <laughs> and like Sam Jackson is like comatose for half the movie. Right. And he, he does bring it when it's his time. But like... Even Anya Taylor-Joy had like way more to do in Split than she did in this one. The side character stuff like with... Uh, Bruce Willis's son. Yeah. Uh, you know. It but they was, got the actual kid from Unbreakable, James. I know. Who cares? <laughs> I, <laughs> who's, I don't know if he's gone on to do anything of note since. Do you know what my favorite part of the whole movie is? Talking uh, about like, the side characters. There's a scene where Bruce Willis runs into M. Night Shyamalan. And yeah. he like connects his character from Split to the character from Unbreakable. Like an unbreakable Bruce Willis like busts him like dealing drugs at the football stadium. Yeah, and he, he basically says something like, Oh, that was a rough time yeah. in my life. <laughs> I was hanging out with a rough crowd. And then in uh Split, he's like a security guard at the uh psychiatrist's like apartment building. And now he works in like a security parts store or like uh was yeah. purchasing things at the same place that Bruce Willis was. And it's like this at least a minute long explanation about how those two characters are actually the same person. Like, you know, bringing in this like retroactive continuity. And I'm just sitting in the theater thinking like, nobody cares about this. It was <laughs> the funniest Shyamalan cares. Oh, it made me laugh so hard. I don't know. I respect that he cares enough to, you know, weave that thread. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was pretty fun and pretty clever. And you know, it is like a lot of superhero tropes we've seen before, but, um, I don't know. Like, I feel like the movie kind of got a bad rap. Um, I mean, Brittany and I did an episode on it the same month that you and I did, like, his kind of classic movies. And uh, we were both very positive on it then, too. I do think it is playing with, like, standard comic book tropes. But because it's so cheaply made, like, it's not on a Marvel budget or anything, he has to kind of pull off these, like, weird little tricks and pranks to, like, mm-hmm. keep the scale limited. And I don't know, I just found that really fascinating. And I think the tropes are played with here and like subverted in some way. It's not as predictable as like a Marvel movie. There's just something weirder about its storytelling style. It It is strange. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that's my favorite kind of Shyamalan is when he gets weird yeah. with it. So, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to more Shyamalan in the future. I don't know if he can extend this universe I kind of hope he leaves Anymore, it here. I think it's done. Yeah. But I, as an exercise and kind of creating your own little Marvel universe, like it was very enjoyable. Yeah. So I don't know. What about 
you have you seen anything good lately i've seen too much because new orleans film fest was last week this year i thought i was scaling it back when i was booking tickets Mm. now i'm looking back it's like oh i saw 10 movies in seven days like that's kind of a lot in the theater cc and i are going to do like a more full episode on everything we caught at the festival a little later from now but i didn't really want to talk about this movie swallow which was like my favorite film at the festival it's a lot like Todd Haynes' Safe from the 90s, that movie where Julianne Moore... Which is one of my favorite movies from the 90s. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. But in that one, she's like convinced that she has an allergy to like basically modern living. Like she has this like, uh, I can't remember the name of the condition, but the quality of the air and like modern products and everything just right. aggravate her skin and make her feel awful. And it's basically this like existential horror film about like her feeling like trapped as this, as this like suburban housewife. Uh, and she has to like leave that prison to go find this other community of other people who hate the modern world In swallow. The setup is really similar. It's just way less subtle and way less vague. Like uh, this woman has pica, which is a sort of fixation on swallowing inedible objects. She's this housewife to this like rich guy and she has nothing to do all day. When he gets home, he's, like, texting and not paying attention to her. Uh, in conversation, her, like, wealthy in-laws, like, steamroll her and don't pay attention to anything she's saying. And then she, you know, as a secret thrill, starts swallowing objects. Like, what kind of objects? Well, it starts off a little, like, um, safe-ish, like a marble or, like, a little toy. And then it becomes, like, a thumbtack or a double-A battery. Oof. Like, shit that could really, like, kill her. Um, so that's an actual condition yeah like, you'll see that on like my strange addiction that like right. tv show people will eat like paper and you know couch stuffing and things like that mm-hmm. what i thought was interesting just comparing it to safe it's less of an art film it's more like a genre piece so it's way less subtle about its themes it's like she'll go to a psychiatrist and be like you have pica you are doing this because it let- allows you to exert control in your life where you cannot do it in other ways like it states its themes and Instead, it focuses on the body horror of what she's doing. Like the objects scraping on her teeth are like Mm. really bothersome. And like, but at the same time, there's this perverse thrill. I think maybe this is me being a a bad person, but um, I wanted to like cheer her on. Her family is so awful. And this is like her thing. Like it's the only thing that's hers. So it's like, yeah, eat those fistfuls of garden soil. Like you go girl. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Even though it's like, you know, bad for her body. I still found myself sort of like, hoping she would get away with it. So is the kind of conflict just the escalation? Yeah. And the family in her body being increasingly frustrated. They, they can't stop her from doing it. Like they keep trying to limit her freedom more and more and more to stop her from doing this thing to herself. And she keeps sneaking around them so that when she does succeed, it's like, fuck yeah, swallow that. (laughs) Even though there is a danger that she will die. So yeah, a really fun, like, upsetting body horror type movie uh, with really overstated themes of like patriarchal control and like class issues. Cause she's not as wealthy or as from of wealthy of a background as like her family she marries into. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff like that where they like talk down to her and don't pay attention to her because of that. Sounds great. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> so I don't know when that'll be out, but definitely keep an eye out on it. It's been at a few festivals in the past couple months. So it seems like it's got a lot of momentum. Uh, it's called hmm. swallow. Also, speaking of, like, festival movies, and I feel like this is, like, very far away from the Neil Breen topic we're talking about today. I watched the movie that won the Palme d'Or at Cannes this year. Oh. Which was Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. I, yeah, I've heard a lot of hype for that. It's crazy how much business this movie's doing. I think it was in the top 
10 or 11 box office earners last week for the country, even though it was only in 30 theaters last week. Oh, wow. Now it's spread out a little more and, you know, made it to New Orleans. And our screening was sold out at the Broad last night. Uh, It's just like insane droves of people coming in to see this movie. Is it just like his reputation from Snowpiercer or what is it that? I think it's just really strong word of mouth. Yeah, like Snowpiercer and Okja have, and The Host even have been like two or three like big genre films that have gotten him a lot of attention. But he does have this like Korean backlog of films that people liked before those too. But I think just the critical praise has been so strong that like everyone wants to see it because it is kind of a crowd pleaser of a thriller. Were you like in that boat? Yes, I really liked it. It's a darkly funny movie about class struggles. It starts off a lot like shoplifters. It's like this family living on the fringe, dealing with whatever crumbs they can get to, you know, piece a livable life together. And then once it escalates in that Bong Joon-ho way where it shifts genres, um, it becomes more like Us, the Jordan Peele film from this year, which is a lot more divisive than this movie. Mm -hmm. But in that one, there's like this very physical depiction of how classes are separated and these like sort of overt clashes between the two warring sides of that. I don't want to give anything away about this movie, obviously, but I do think we should do a whole episode on it maybe a little while from now. So yeah, that, I mean, it's out at broad right now, right? So maybe in a month it'll be it this week. Anyway, a little safer so. to do spoilers, I guess. But in the meantime, I'll just say like, yes, all the critical praise calling it like a masterpiece and all that. Like I support it. It's good. Hell yeah. Yeah. That got me excited. I did like us a little better. I'm just gonna say. So, madman, there's no way I can already, I can already tell we're gonna get into yeah, it. Yeah, you're gonna disagree. We do an episode on that. Maybe shoplifters would be fun to compare because I know you liked that one more than I did too. I yeah, I really liked. I liked us more than you did. So maybe we'll meet in the middle with Parasite. Okay. Well, anyway, um, that's enough smart movies uh, <laughs> with clear themes that uh, we can agree with. We're gonna instead talk about very shoddily made pictures from a amateur filmmaker with very terrible ideas about how to run the world. Yes, I would agree with all that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, joining us for that conversation is Hannah Rassinen, hey. who is a regular writer for this website now, which is great. Woo. And all that's coming up to you right, right now. now. You will be shocked and amazed at what I have here. It will scare you. But you should be scared because it is the truth. And now it's time for our movie of the minute. This is where hosts of the show bounce back and forth recommending films to each other. Uh, joining us, like I said, is Hannah. Hello. Uh, who's been doing movie of the month stuff with yeah. us. And going to start writing. Yeah, very, very exciting. It's been great. Yeah, we watched Rare Exports. We watched Blood and Donuts. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, Rare Exports we're going to talk about all November. Yeah. It's kind of like The Thing, but with Santa Claus. Yeah, it's like Finnish <laughs> um, horror action thing. It's yeah. wonderful. It's great. Yeah. And um, it was James's turn to pick a topic this episode. Oh, yeah. And you picked the very spooky subject of mm. Neil Breen. Who is Neil Breen, James? So there's not a whole lot of... I'd really tried digging and finding out some background info on this guy. All you can really find out is he was a realtor in Las Vegas, pretty successful, and decided to basically self-fund a series of films that have caught the attention of people that are into like bad movies. Yeah. Like the room and yeah. I mean, that's the main thing it gets compared to, but it's kind of a different thing than the room. It's not, his aesthetic is weird and it's kind of hard to, uh, 
articulate how it's different than other bad movies. But anyway, he's kind of carved a little niche for himself in the like, so bad it's good. You know, and I'd seen a lot of clips on YouTube and stuff like that, but never, never actually sat down and watched a full movie. And uh, yeah, this past week I watched uh, three of them. <laughs> and anyway, so I thought for a Halloween episode, they delve into like supernatural mysticism sort of thing. So I thought it would fit for a Halloween episode, but it's scarier in ways that I <laughs> was not anticipating. Right. It was fit the uh, timing better than I thought it would. Yeah. I think Neil Breen as himself is, you know, just horrifying and otherworldly completely. He's totally hairless. He has very long fingers. He has no sense of human passion or connection. He's very strange. I, I would not be surprised if he is not of this world. In the couple cases where I paid to watch these movies, I felt like I was funding terrorism. <laughs> like, I felt like yeah. I was funding a mur- mass murderer. More than any other director, I feel like he needs to be on the FBI's watch list. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the movie with the biggest body count. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good start. Yeah. Pass Through from 2016. What happens in Pass Through? Okay, first thing, with these movies, especially when you watch a lot of them close to each other, is they start to meld together because the themes and the plots of a lot of these are pretty much exactly the same. So in Pass Through... It's in the desert. It's in the desert. There's a tiger. (laughs) Right, and well, he's a junkie. He maybe dies of an overdose... Right? He does yeah. die. He transcends. Well, I think the artificial intelligence takes a hold of his dead body. That was what I took away from it. Right. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, he's a junkie that dies in the desert. The AI finds a human host body to kind of take over, and then he starts to do some. I don't even really know what he does <laughs> throughout the first two-thirds of the movie. And I, I think that's another reason that they blend together. Like, they're all similarly plotless until the very end. This one especially has very little plot. It's more like lectures. Whereas there are ones that are more structured with, you know, with characters, with, like, plot development and <laughs> things like that. And this one really doesn't have that. Well, this one has the um, human trafficking mm-hmm. aspect or the illegal immigration where these people are coming from Mexico. And I don't think any of them are actually Mexican. Like, well, they don't even say that they they say they're fleeing their country, a country. A it's, co- you assume it's Mexico, but their reasons for leaving are all very vague. Yeah. And the the border wall or whatever you want to call it is just a chain link <laughs> fence. Very flimsy. And they're being um, ushered around by these human traffickers with guns who like separate them by gender into these trucks and then like, sort of lock them in these like apartment spaces and these like hot vans and just sort of like kind of hold them hostage it seems like they're gonna go into like sex work or something but we never really get there we just get them like waiting for something to happen until neil breen as this ai junkie ghost uh (laughs) decides to come back and like free them well and his name is uh what is it till Mm -hmm. light backwards backwards that he read off of a yogurt (laughs) container Oh, there's a lot of trash in this desert. Yeah. A lot of trash. Oh, and he cleans it up. Yep. He cleans up all the trash. <laughs> Wait, and then there's also the subplot of the kids who they have a professor who's in the hospital <sighs> and they have all these books about the universe 
and they're trying to find something that their professor told them about and then they eventually wheel him out to the desert yeah. To find Neil Breen. Yeah, they're tracking some kind of energy on their laptops. They're very excited about it. And then they finally find Neil Breen in the desert. How does he <laughs> resolve this scenario? With all these like evil people holding uh, all these other people hostage. Well, he, he exterminates them. Yeah, he kills millions of people in this movie. <laughs> 300 million people is the number, I believe. Which I'm terrible at numbers. I don't really. I can't picture that amount of people. Like, how many American cities is that? How many like? That's a a lot of people. Okay. <laughs> well, like I said, the I think there's like seven billion people on the Earth. Sure. So I don't know. You do the yeah. math. Well, I, I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it's it would be a hundred New Orleans. Yeah, yeah, I can picture that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. But he's exterminating the corrupt. Mm-hmm. CEOs, politicians, also liars. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently liars is criteria to just be exterminated. Yeah. Anybody who has harmed another human. Which- so I, I feel like that's actually a pretty rosy picture of humanity. Like 300 million yeah. bad people by that standard is not a whole lot. Like, yeah, that means there's still billions of good people out there. I, I don't know. I feel good about that. Number the dichotomy of there being a good person and a bad person in right. general is not healthy. And for one, even though he is an AI ghost from the future, for one person to decide who lives and who dies and ha- and have that power is terrifying. Well, it would be Neil Breen, and right. he seems like he believes he is that person. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that is a common thread throughout pretty much every movie. That's what's so fascinating to me about Neil Breen is his ideology is so black and white and so vague, and yet he is so (laughs) entrenched in it, like, these people must be exterminated. And, I mean, if you were to kill every person who ever harmed another, it would just be, everybody would be dead. I mean, that's, that's what it is. But he really feels like the arbiter of morality. And his enemies are usually, like, the common conspiracy theorists, nut job enemies. It's bankers, yeah. politicians, and corporate... The media. And okay. the media. Yeah. But here's the thing. Where I have to defend him is, isn't he kind of right? These are the people in charge. They're the ones pulling the strings, and they're the ones fucking up society. So, like, his targets are correct. I don't think so. Because it's, it's like all politicians are this way and yeah i don't have any politicians that i love (laughs) but i don't think i should be the one who decides which ones get executed and i think we are living in a time right now where there are enough like radicalized white men around his age who are like hoarding guns Mm -hmm. and like actually acting on these kinds of impulses and this one particularly he has some empathy for immigrants but it's, it's yeah. vague. It's weird. He's well, like, why don't you go back to right. your home right. country and fix things there instead of coming to America? So he doesn't kill those people. He kills the people that are like trafficking them, but he still gives them a talking to. Right. I think it's it's sort of like a libertarian That's right. ideology, but I also feel like he is a Trump yeah, supporter. Absolutely. So it's a, his politics, like some of it, like I said, I don't think it's completely wrong. We should be mad at the CEOs and, 
you know, the politicians, but obviously we shouldn't, we don't need like a violent political revolt and just execute them all and send the immigrants back to their country to fix their own problems. Like it's very murky. Yeah. Well, and he also never actually articulates the issues with corrupt politicians. He just kind of generally attacks corruption and he, he has these scenes of these people in suits like, rubbing their fingers together saying oh yes i ripped off the the population for the good of my own company and it's just like (laughs) like so inarticulate there's no details yeah exactly and i think that that is a day like an unspecified violent revolt but that's kind of what brandon was touching on like that especially like white guys that buy into these conspiracy theories none of it is specific it's just very Kind of vague. Well, that's what the Trump platform yeah. is, is it's there are people with power who are keeping you from living your rightful place on the top of the food chain. And anyone within that elite structure needs to be like taken down. Destroyed. Yeah. yeah. Eliminated. And to be fair, we're talking about this in like a horror movie context and like this like massacre on this like huge global level. This movie is bloodless. The way he gets rid of people is in this sort of like left behind, like rapture kind mm-hmm. of way where they just, just disappear. disappear. Yeah. Um, except at the very end, there's a scene of him walking with his like mm-hmm. best earth mate that he met where there's just like fields of dead bodies in the desert. And that like literally just like chilled my blood. <laughs> <laughs> and I just I have a hard time laughing at this stuff now just because like. I don't know. It, it's pretty real to yeah. like how other people think out there in the world that I'm scared of them because they're the ones with guns. Yeah. And that's not what I was expecting when I chose this topic. Like I really thought it was going to be Tommy Wasau with the room. There was a certain naivete about that. Whereas this Neil Breen, I have a hard time telling if it's he's completely unaware or he's totally aware of what he's doing. And I, after watching most of his movies, I still don't know. Like, how self-aware is this guy? Mm, I don't know. I mean, I think generally he seems pretty ego-driven. I mean, he's always this, like, like super-powered, either, like, literally supernatural powers or just kind of, like, brazenly intelligent. He's hacking into government systems. There are hordes of attractive women that are you know, attaching themselves to him. And it feels like this is how he sees himself. Like it's a manifestation of his inner dialogue. And if only other people could kind of get on board with him, the world would be a better place. Yeah, he's not arguing for a different political structure or a different like power structure. He's just saying that if I were in charge, these people would not exist. And then the world would be a better place. Mm -hmm. But it's like... Well, that creates like a power vacuum and then other people would just fill in the yeah. same roles within the same paradigm we have now. Like his solution is so short-sighted. Yeah. And it's just that I have a, a moral judgment above everyone else's. Or it w- instead of a power vacuum, it would be a Neil Brain dictatorship. Or that, yeah. That's what he really, that's what he really wants. <laughs> that's yeah, the end exa- goal. Yeah, absolutely. When I was younger, I used to listen to like Coast to Coast all the time. Have you ever heard that show? It's still on, but it was this dial-up radio show where people would call in and talk about like conspiracy theories and it was usually like aliens and like out of body experiences and like time travel and like late night crackpots on the radio and i used to love that as a kid one also the the host was really good at kind of like egging, egging them, them on, on. Oh, yeah no. well but 
in like a playful way. Like he did it really skillfully. Mm-hmm. If you listen to Coast to Coast now without that Art Bell like kind of playfulness yeah. to it, it's very Trumpian. Like it, it, the conspiracy theories have gotten to the point where it's very Neil Breen. These people are corrupt. This is what's really going on behind the curtain and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And I can't tell if it's just because the world's gotten harsher or if I'm older, but this stuff just isn't funny to me anymore. Uh, and I'll watch these like YouTube videos of people at Neil Breen's screenings, just tons of kids in their like early 20s and late teens laughing so hard at what's on the screen. And it's like, maybe I used to have that ironic enjoyment in me, but it's gone now. <laughs> Okay, but the conversation has started very serious. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a politics. <laughs> For sure, and this is supposed to be funny. And it's supposed to be funny. You know, oh, it's so bad. Look at the shoddy production and the acting is awful and these crazy, stupid shots. But it's, it seems like maybe we're too old. I think it is. That. Like, I did laugh at some. Mm-hmm. Some of it I did find just ridiculous and incompetent. But when I really sat down and thought about it, it's not enjoyable, really. Even going to screenings of The Room now, like, The Room is also cruel and, like, fucked up and, like, maniacally egotistical. And that was part of what was, like, darkly funny about it for a time. But if you go to a screening where everyone's, like, laughing and, like, cheering it on, I don't know. There's just, like, like this deeply ugly energy in The mm-hmm. Room. It's a deeply misogynistic, like, evil film. Yeah. But see, there is a distinction between Neil Breen and Tommy Wiseauer, The Room, and any one of... Breen's films like I think it's Tommy Wiseau himself he seems like someone that genuinely loves film and I know in interviews he said like you know Streetcar Named Desire and all this is like the kind of films he grew up on and he loves so there's like a naivete about this guy that loves film that's really incompetent but he wants to make a, a good movie whereas like Neil Breen it seems like someone that's never watched a movie I've seen interviews with him where they ask for his influences and he doesn't have any, like he doesn't even watch movies. So it's just like a vehicle for the idea for his ideology. And that I think is what distinguishes the two for me. I think the context is totally different too. Like the room is, I mean, it is ego driven, but the context is within a couple of relationships. And then Neil Breen's movies are always globally contextualized so they feel like feature-length manifestos basically yeah you know the room is not really i mean it is political but it's not overtly political that wasn't his intention it's about how great tommy was so yeah and how horrible everyone else is (laughs) which kind of is the same thing but yeah it doesn't leave the room like it's like within that friend group yeah Uh, this is more of a global political implication but tommy was so in the room is like a tragic figure whereas Breen is the like hero. a messianic mm-hmm. figure. Like he's here to save humanity. And that's sort of what leaves a more bitter taste in my mouth. Were you ever into these like so bad it's good kind oh, of like yeah. laugh at stuff? Me, me too. Yeah. I, I kind of oh, miss definitely. having that irony. I mean, we, <laughs> Brandon, like growing, you know, in college and stuff, we watch stuff like that all the time. And that's why I brought the age thing. Like I wonder if something does change when you get older, you can't enjoy stuff ironically. My first introduction to this kind of movie watching was Mystery Science Theater 3000. Mm-hmm. I think that probably for a lot of people um, it was. And that felt like kind of like training wheels for this kind of thing. Like it gives you this sort of ironic above the material detachment. We're like, I'm better than this. And that's why I can like laugh at it. 
And then the more you watch the stuff, it's like, I kind of would rather watch this movie without the commentary. And then you're watching these like cheap B pictures and you start to realize like how hard it is to make any movie. And after a while, what it comes across to me as is it's just outsider art. It's like people who don't have technical Mm -hmm. film training skills and they don't have, you know, producers putting in money and guidance and like making sure there's like a quality control element to it. So like weirder shit gets to the screen and what I start finding in this stuff is not like, oh, I'm better than it and that it's funny. It's more like I'm celebrating the weird shit that sneaks through. Yeah. In this movie, what I really liked were these like shots of Neil Breen on a green screen with this like Serbian tiger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's just their two faces and it looks like weird, surreal art. I don't know if that's what he was going for, if there's some kind of message I wasn't getting, but those shots are actually kind of cool. And like that was what stuck with me more than anything else. But it was hard to celebrate the, like, outsider art weirdo making movies straight from the id thing when the message behind it was so toxic and, yeah. like, dangerous that, like, I, I don't know, I'm just getting even, like, sour pit in my stomach. I recently rewatched uh, Manos, Hands yes. of Faye, which was a big mystery science theater. It's a pretty good movie. I like it. Well, uh, <laughs> let's not go that far. That's but, where I'm at in life right now. <laughs> but I think, so, I think when I watched it originally when I was younger, you know, just sort of laughing at it like, oh, this is so bad. Watching it now and being someone that's like so into film is like had an idea like, oh, I would love to make a film one day. And to see a fertilizer salesman who just like on a bet was like, ah, I can make a movie. And then he fucking does it. It's Mm -hmm. so hard. Yeah. It's hard to make a movie. And so just like seeing someone bring their vision to life, no matter what it is like, I don't know. I really respect that more. And I don't like really enjoy laughing at it. I want to try to like meet it on its own terms. It's harder with Breen. Also, I do think, I mean, this is more about Manos, but um, I do think people are so afraid of making movies because they're afraid of the quality that they're going to produce. So just seeing somebody who has no idea what he's doing, who makes a film that's like very shoddily put together and people are still watching it. I mean, I watched it for the first time three weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it was made, you know, decades ago. Also, that cape of the high priest. Oh, it looks cool. It's so fantastic. I love it. We saw it. We said, yeah, we went to the Texas State Fair and they had a little movie part about all the Texas cinema. Yeah. And I just saw the cape, and I my heart just dropped. Amazing. Yeah, and they so had uh, the Leatherface mask, mm-hmm. too. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it's just hard to, like, meet, meet Neil Breen halfway right. the way you would with Amanos or something, just because, like, you know, meeting him halfway means, you know, listening to his messaging, <laughs> which is, like, kill them all. <laughs> I well, don't know. It's kind of yeah, rough. Well, you know, another thing, too, there was a movie we watched the other night was it called? Curtains? Yeah. I don't know, some like schlocky 80s. Oh, the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but it had, in the first 10 minutes, it had so many technical errors. Like, I could not believe, like, the boom mic <laughs> was literally hanging in the shot for like the first 10 minutes. But with Neil Breen, it, I want to say it's like competently made on that level. Like, when you talk about like Ed Wood and stuff, he gets a lot of crap because... Stuff like that. Like, oh, you can see the boom mic or the actor ran into the fake door. Neil Breen movies never have that. Like, there's a level of competency. And again, like, what I keep struggling with is it almost seems calculated to where, oh, people are into this 
so bad it's good type of thing. And I'm going to hone in on that aesthetic. But he's technically not like a bad from a technical standpoint. Like it's not impressive either, though. It's not impressive, but it's not like there's no mics hanging in the shots there. Like you said, there's some cool like CGI or like maybe uh, not green cool. screen, it green screen, sure. whatever. But it's yeah. an aesthetic. I don't think he's a complete failure. Like he could make something worthwhile, but he's had five goes at it. And he keeps churning out the same mm-hmm. stuff. Like Tommy was out of the room. He got one shot and that was his thing. Neil Breen has kept churning out these films that. I disagree on them being the same. I think they've gotten more ambitious. Uh, this one is pretty recent. And this one passed through has like very little ambition. It's mostly just people in a desert talking, but those green screen things, which is actually a very Edwardian to have this like nature footage, this like stock footage. And then he inserts himself into that. That's like the, the step up from Edward is Edward would just roll the footage and talk over it. He rolls the footage and Neil Breen's inside of it. But that is different than like double down and stuff like that. I don't think he was trying that early on. Well, and you did see his most mm. recent and film. Most, which was the most ambitious one. Yeah. But I, I, I can't praise his filmmaking craft here. I don't think he has ambitions really. He's gradually stepped it up, but it's almost like reluctantly so. He'd rather just talk to you for two hours. I yeah. Think. But isn't that like the best part of a Neil Breen movie is the monologues? Disagree. Mm. <laughs> well, I, see, that, that, I like that part oh, of pa- Pass Through. Like anytime he would go on some monologue about quasi-spiritual music. Self-help mumble jumbo. I loved it. Yeah. It was like, it was entertaining to me, but that's just me. Too toxic for me to feel entertained by it. Yeah. Giving a lot of attention to Neil Breen also kind of feels like giving a lot of attention to, for instance, the Flat Earthers. Like, people think that these conspiracy theories are so funny and outlandish that they give it all this attention and then the platform gets larger and larger. I mean, I don't think Neil Breen is going to be the next, you know, vigilante of the far right libertarian white male but it it just feels similar like the more you attention you give to something the greater a platform it gets i think there's a good chance he very well could be (laughs) that's what scares me and like this one pass through is the only one he's not super litigious about like he has this like dvd and blu-ray distribution system where Mm -hmm. he sells his own movies and distributes them to themselves and they're all like 40 dollars yeah so you're like sending him a significant chunk of money to keep doing whatever he's doing. But pass through is the one he put on archive.org himself, which is a oh. free hosting program hmm. platform. And that to me means that this is the one where he wants the message to get through. Yeah. Oh, and it's like the is message is so scary. scary. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm, I'm terrified of this man. Yeah. Yeah. Then it really does feel like a, his manifesto. Yeah. Yeah. That's not good. It's a sci-fi, a sci- science fiction drama um, genre film. It is not a midnight movie. It's a legitimate, mainstream, full-length feature film. If you act right now as you're hearing this, his most recent film, Twisted Pair, has been uploaded to YouTube for free, probably <laughs> against his wishes. I'm glad I got to see it without giving him more money. I thought for a while while watching it that it was lagging in weird ways. Like the screen would just freeze. And I'm like, Oh shit, this, this link's kind of broken. But then 
characters would gradually appear on screen, like slow fade-ins. I'm like, oh, it's supposed to look like this. Um, (laughs) What I think makes Twisted Pair my favorite of the movies we watched, which is a low bar because I did not enjoy these movies this episode, (laughs) is that the green screen stuff that I thought in Pass Through was interesting with like the tiger and stuff, that's most of Twisted Pair. In this film, he plays two characters. One is the good AI. The other is his twin, who is evil AI. Uh, the reason that they're twins is because they were born normal humans and they were abducted by some kind of alien force that genetically modified their DNA to become artificial intelligence. It's yeah. very vaguely you're sketched just out. your eyes as you're describing <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I just went into a trance trying to remember the details of that. His evil version wears the fakest looking fucking beard you've ever seen in your life. It looks like plastic uh, just draping from his face. And they sort of battle it out on these green screened stock footage things. There's like scientific labs that Neil Breen will like sort of hold his scratch his chin and like nod along to like scientists doing like lab work. There's war footage of like soldiers invading some place. It looks like in the Middle East where he's just there in the background watching. <laughs> um, he uses his super powers to like leap incredible heights across the green screen, like into windows and stuff. It almost looks like he's playing up the so bad it's good part in that, but it looks really surreal. Like it's so cheap, it's surreal. It looks like a like an eighties video game. Yeah, it, it borders on art in like an accidental <laughs> way. Oh man, high praise! And then the evil twin does something that doesn't happen in pass through. We're like, and that one, it's bloodless. Like you know, people just sort of disappear. The evil people just go away. And this one, the evil twin is an extremist who abducts these like, you know, corrupt businessmen and scientists mm-hmm. who are like genetically modifying the human body and all this stuff. It's basically like DNA hacking is the the villain in this. He abducts them and holds them hostage with like a gun pointed to their face in this like black room. Uh, and it's like genuinely terrifying. Also, and this is just me being a sucker, there's like this like deep almost neon purple backdrop to it. Uh, that I always love in movies. Like anytime I see this particular shade of purple, I'm like, that is cinema. So <laughs> to me, like, Hot. I don't know. Twisted Pair is terrifying in the same way that Pass Through is, but it has more of a like genuine plot and it's not just all lectures, but it still has the same like grotesque ideology and the green screen surrealism, like cheap art outsider thing to me is a little more prominent. Mm-hmm. So it's not just ideas over and over again. It's like, a visual display on top of being like a terrifying manifesto. So it was my favorite out of what I watched for this episode. You know, I feel like in most of Neil Breen's films, I mean, there isn't really an antagonist. I mean, the antagonist generally is, are the corrupt leaders of the world, but they don't really pose any particular threat to Neil Breen. He just kind of like overtakes them. So this movie, like the only formidable foe for Neil Breen is Neil Breen. So, again, it's, like, about his ego. Yeah. I feel like there is, like, a self-help aspect to his movies, too, where, like, addiction is a huge yeah. antagonist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's very and very anti-pharmacology. Yeah, and just drug abuse in general, yeah. too. He definitely seems like he would be an anti-vaxxer. Yeah, for sure. Because who knows what the government's mm-hmm. hacking into your DNA Putting with. in your genes. Right, yeah. Yeah, and this one, the... Two AI are like almost have the same goals, but like one is an extremist who kidnaps people, mm-hmm. and the other one, the good one, still 
voices all this like ideology about how he's going to take down the corrupt so it, but in a good way i guess but so we don't is see that, that do you think that's a meta commentary on his own ideology i don't know if it's purposeful it seems like he's wrestling with something mm. yeah like the debate between having a violent political revolt and non-violent protest mm-hmm. but it seems like the ultimate goal of the good one is going to be some kind of like <laughs> upheaval where he gets rid of these bad you know actors in the world and i I don't know what the difference is really other than the evil one's already doing it so Hmm. yeah it's it's kind of odd and he keeps saying things that feel to me more like he's crossing the boundary into like actually doing these things in the real world he keeps saying like i am the weapon i am the justice and oh, it's like, God. God, is he like mobilizing? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Well, it's, that's it's how you say he should be on the FBI watch list. Especially after watching this one to me. But I do think it's the best movie. Mm-hmm. I hate to bring this up, but I was thinking about the, the Vegas shooter because he is in Las Vegas and his ideology does seem to line up. Or it seems like the ideology that could fuel right. someone to like shoot into a crowd of people. Yeah. Not to get too dark into I don't think that was his <laughs> no, intent. I, but. I don't think it's that far off. Like That's the kind of yeah. thing I'm, I've been thinking about with each one of these movies. Or like the shooting in the Walmart in Texas recently. Or, I don't know. It's just like a, the same vein is running through all of these. Maybe that's cruel of me to say so. Maybe I don't know this man on a personal level or anything. The other thing is you don't have to personally be willing to kill innocent people to inspire other people to do that. I'm not I'm not calling Neil Breen an instigator of violence. I'm just saying the ideology he has is pretty extreme and it's also pretty explicit. I mean, people have been inspired to violence for less explicit, you know. True. Which is something that everyone was complaining about with the Joker recently that Mm -hmm. um, you know, Scorsese riffing movie with Joaquin Phoenix. It was warned in the media like this is bad for these like radicalized people online. They're really gonna latch onto this like the world is evil and we need to clean the streets which in taxi driver you know same deal except you know that travis bickle is like a unwell right wrong person Mm -hmm. and the horror of the film is spending two hours inside of the mind of somebody like this but with the joker and with these neil breen movies you're like sort of celebrating the persona and like saying oh he's right actually these people are Mm -hmm. evil the difference to me is the joker maybe in the way you're saying it's influencing the culture in like intangible ways, but mm-hmm. it hasn't incited direct violence or anything. Whereas with Neil Breen, I feel like if I'm giving him $40, that might go to ammunition or like a <laughs> yeah. homemade bomb or something. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's going to do it. I'm just right. saying I think he's capable of <laughs> yeah, doing it. Yeah, you wouldn't be surprised. Right. The thing too is like most films are like, just film as an art really is about putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Like seeing a character, getting into the character, creating empathy, and you have some higher understanding of where someone else is coming from. But with all these Neil Breen movies, it's the exact opposite. It's about like putting yourself in his shoes and like he's the arbiter of justice. And yeah, yeah, it's like anti-empathy. It's all ego. And that's not uh, particularly fun to watch. No, really. <laughs> It is pretty fascinating, though. I mean, just on a personal level, he's so unappealing to me as a human being. So to watch him, like, just totally succeed in these bombastic, outlandish efforts and to have all these women, like, just fawning over him is so bizarre. Like, the disconnect 
to me is it's horrifying and it is fascinating in twisted pair he has this like scene where there's this woman he meets in public and he like hits on her and she says no thank you and then he follows her home and then like breaks into her house and starts like forcing himself on her and then she giggles and they make out and it turns out it was his wife the whole time my like heart was in my throat through the whole sequence i was like oh no he's a rapist now on top of being all these other things Mm. and it's like oh no it's just like this like kink fantasy between this married couple i think that is like a perfect segue to fateful findings which was his breakthrough movie right yeah Yeah. Uh, in 2013 and this is when i first heard of him was when this movie came out because it was like oh this is the next room was kind of the story around it Uh, so what is fateful findings there's a lot of computers (laughs) so four in one shot at any given moment because he's like a writer right he's like writing some books he's a writer hacker he's a computer hacker that also writes novels yeah (laughs) and when he was like a seven-year-old boy him and the love of his life found something in the desert from i guess some alien entity gives him i guess special powers or he gets in this like grizzly car accident and he recovers super quick and you get to see his whole ass in Mm. the uh hospital gown Oh, yeah. Yeah, which <laughs> totally could have been avoided, but it was not. Oh, that was intentional. That was on, yeah, you yeah. see how sexy he is. Well, and also he makes out with his wife with a full bloody bandaged head. Oh, God. And blood and just, just spilling, spilling all over the all shower. Spilling all in the shower. And uh, I guess he uses those power to, like, kill a bunch of politicians. Or, or oh, force no. them to kill themselves, right? Yes. So, Suicide is yeah. a big theme in addiction. His wife's addicted to pills. His buddy's an alcoholic. This this one has a very loose narrative, yeah, or plot. It just felt like his relationships with the people around him and reigniting his fling with this woman that was a his childhood love. And then throughout the movie, he's telling people how he's hacking into the most secret government secrets, and he's going to reveal the truth, and it's going to change the world. And then that just happens at the end of the movie. And all of the corrupt politicians kind of apologize for their wrongdoing, and then they, and then they all commit suicide in various ways. It's weird because he like has this platform finally to like speak to the world. Everyone's listening, and what he says is like, "Now you have the truth. Mm-hmm. Now you have right. all the truth, all of it." But he hasn't said anything. Like we no. don't know what he was doing or what he was hacking into other than that it's like the top secrets mm, the most secret secrets and you're supposed to feel good watching him give the speech intercut with these scenes of like supposedly politicians and corporate people we've never seen before in the movie kill themselves yeah and i didn't feel good watching that <laughs> <laughs> yeah and <laughs> there it's just the uh, same kind of stock sound of this applause every time he says something and you know they all clap and then but you don't see anybody except for him and these politicians and bankers who come up and they say oh yes i have misled you and now the truth is out and i'm going to resign immediately and yeah. everybody claps again yeah it's very unsettling and it almost feels like the lead up to that is just him cleansing himself like he stops taking his medication mm-hmm. that a psychiatrist tells him to take. His wife takes it recreationally behind his back, which is very odd because <laughs> you don't usually take behavioral meds for fun. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so he stops taking his medication. He stops going to a psychiatrist and he stops contributing to his like regular job, which is this like publishing career that mm-hmm. we don't really know much about. He reconnects with this woman from his childhood who he hasn't seen since then. 
And it's like, oh, I got to get rid of this like toxic marriage I'm in. I got to get rid mm-hmm. of these pills that people are telling me I need. I got to get rid of this like, mm-hmm. you know, need to have a job. And yeah. once I clean myself of all these like capitalistic modern world concerns, then I can ascend to this like AI hacker mm-hmm. with supernatural abilities. And then I can force all these politicians to kill themselves. Which sounds like somebody who took, stopped taking their behavioral meds would say that they can do. Yeah. Uh, but again, I, I, is he that off? He's just like slightly askew. I like, can't agree with what he's saying until I have more details. Maybe. Yeah, that's, I, mm-hmm. I think that's the thing is there's no details. Right. Like we need to know more. Yeah. If you tell me like, oh, um, all these politicians are greedy and running things and controlling the world. Uh, and that's why um, AOC and Bernie Sanders want to um, be in the op- Congress and the Oval Office. Like, I don't. Right. Yeah. That's like a different <laughs> thing than saying, like, Wall Street is fixed, which, you know, I'm sure it is. Yeah. I don't necessarily want to see those people publicly executed. Right. Maybe I should. Uh, but I need more details before I can uh, <laughs> sign off on that. A little more information. Yeah. Uh, so I think actually Fateful Findings was my favorite of the movies that we watched because just because I felt like his ego was on full display. Uh, he has this beautiful wife. Then he has this teenage like daughter of his friend that's constantly trying to come on to him for whatever reason. And he... It seems like he also has a theme in his movies of childhood romances that are it's like that was your first true pure love. Yeah. And then in the movies, he reconnects with these people. And that's what happens in Faithful Findings as well. And that also feels to me like some ego, like he had some childhood romance in his life. And he just feels like if only I could see her again this would be my perfect love. Yeah. And he's like reenacting that in his movie. Double Down has that yeah. to that childhood. And it's at that exact same age, like right. seven, eight years old. Ah, that was the love of my mm-hmm. life. And she got away from me. If I could just find her again, yeah. everything would be perfect. Again, like there's not much information about his actual life, but I want a biography yeah, I don't Which know. If, we may never get, but probably not. But I know um, the most like telling scene like that in Faithful Findings is like he's eating this plate of raw spinach yes. <laughs> uh, while hacking, and um, the woman from his childhood is just adoringly staring at him while he eats this plate of spinach, and that's it. Like the whole scene is just like him eating <laughs> a quote unquote salad uh, while she's like staring at him, oh. will, and he seems like he's so happy in that moment. I will say like half the movie too is him just like throwing things <laughs> at it on his desk. Like mm. he has like five computers yeah. that aren't turned on. Yeah. He's throwing novels. He's throwing papers. Can we talk about the fuck box? Oh yeah. yeah Very strange. Weird. Like, and, and I was talking about this with the other movies, like the best parts of these to me are like the surreal, like weird mm-hmm. images. And this one, uh, it's him and his childhood friend who he has this like romantic, you know, destiny with, I guess have this like mental place they project to that's like a black room in the cube it's like a black it's, cube it's trash with, gar- bags. with garbage bags yeah. lining the walls <laughs> and they're just naked in there like together and that's mm-hmm. their souls bound together mm. it reminded me a lot of the fuck box in high life yes. but yeah mm-hmm. you know made with trash bags and it's like that is you know we we're talking about earlier like championing low budget can do filmmaking in this case, you don't forget that you're looking at trash bags. Like it's right there on the screen. But I like that he's reaching in, in that moment for you know something like Claire Denis' high life right. or like something 
more surreal and like outside of his yeah, budget. He had a vision that he felt compelled to fulfill, and he did but, it with trash. And books. it's deeply oh, weird. Yeah. But also, I was wondering, they never show her face who he's in the fuck box with. <laughs> like, no, I, I kind of had assumed that it was you know his childhood love, but her body actually looks like the teenage. Yeah. Girl that is coming on to I'm that almost That is who I thought it was. Oh, weird. Originally. I don't so know why that, I read it the other way, but well, you, that well, makes more sense. Yeah, that makes sense. But but I remember the first time there was a woman in the box. I was like, is that the teenager? Because no, she was so tan. Yeah, and, and she had the brown hair. Body type, the hair. Maybe that is a different thing. Maybe it's like his, his like dark place. Dark, yeah, his mm. dark desires. Like he's into the teenage daughter of. His friend, but he can't go there. Mm. Man, it just adds a whole yeah. other layer. I mean, that actually is more in line with um, the uncomfortable feeling I got watching all of these than <laughs> yeah. the other readings. So maybe that's that's what happened. They're very weird images. It's not a lot of the movie. It's like a couple cutaways, but it's definitely striking visually. Yeah. I also have to say for somebody who portrays himself as so sexually desirable, the sex scenes in his movies are so strange that he just gives the weirdest little like baby kisses <laughs> and then in fateful findings there's a scene where his wife is on drugs and he's trying to get her clean and it's like this rough sex scene starts but he, he they're in the office and he just slowly starts like throwing his computers yeah on the ground like slowly kind of shuffling stuff off of the desk it's like he has an idea of what passion is supposed to look like, but he actually can't has it, no idea what it is. He's like throwing papers yeah. <laughs> in the air. Yeah, he's kind of half-heartedly ripping her shirt. Like it's yeah. still on, but it's kind of ripped. That's a very the room in like I don't want to say influence, mm-hmm. but like parallel. Like when Tommy was so was like humping around her belly button right. region. It's like not, that's not where that's vaginas not where are. It's like <laughs> so far removed yeah. from sexual experience. Well, was there any sex in Double Down? That was the one y'all watched that I didn't get to. A couple things about Double Down is, first of all, I liked it because Neil Breen plays kind of an anti-hero. Like, he's a biological terrorist, essentially. That sounds like a hero in Neil Breen's ideology to me. Well, ultimately, he is a hero. But um, the main highlight of the film is you see the back of his Mm, ball sack in the swimming pool. (laughs) Um, <laughs> there's a scene where his uh, love interest, who of course he met when he was eight years old, mm-hmm. gets assassinated in the pool, and she gets shot in the back, and so she's lying dead, you know, face up, and he just like puts his arm around her, and they're just floating next to each yeah. other, and you just see his bare ass, and yeah, you can make out the yeah. back of his ball sack. Just a little vision of the ball sack. Um, Is that your full review of the film? Like. That, <laughs> Well, the other thing I would say is like that one actually did have some, I would say, high art or artistic sort of shots, like poetic shots, like Mm. a flower slowly falling into the water. And that's something you didn't really get in a lot of the other movies. Um, So it seems like he was finding his voice as an auteur. And I guess from what you're saying with Twisted Pear, I guess he finally realized his... And yeah, that's like vision. his extreme ends, like 
Double Down was his first movie, and Twisted Pair is his most recent. The image that he's talking about is she's, he proposes to her. She says, yes, of course, you're everything I've ever wanted. She's assassinated, and then there's this blood-soaked flower. So it's, you know, it's a metaphor for her in the sense being and that wow. that was a poignant i guess you know it was something and the blood you know spilling out in the swimming pool uh but yeah i really um tuned it out tuna I, <laughs> also I, tuna and i think that's another th- weird motif in his movies like spilling food everywhere i've seen the gif of him driving and just spilling driving canned tuna. tuna on his yeah. belly mm-hmm. that's a huge highlight yeah that's a lot to ask to watch like a 90 minute, you know, dissertation on like domestic terrorism. So you can watch a man spill tuna on himself for like a second. <laughs> like, <laughs> the payoffs are very small in these movies. But yeah, yeah, that's the thing with pass through too. like, is it scene where he's just throwing out trash? Yeah. Yeah. Trash is like a common thread. And gotta a lot of clean these. it up. Clean up the world. Yeah, I don't know. Under- I mean, that trash scene did make me laugh. He, there are these, are, are they immigrants to the two girls that he finds in Pasadena? Yeah, they've like broken off from the... Yeah, uh, they've escaped. Human traffickers or whatever. So they don't trust him yet, and he's trying to get them to stay in his home, which is this like totally destroyed little room with this rat-ass mattress. And he's... He's like, don't worry, I'll clean it up for you. I'll clean it. And he's just throwing cans out of the house. And she's screaming and he's like, it's all clean now. And he has just the weirdest grin on his face. So that with the tuna and the spinach and his total disregard for his laptops. I mean, those things did really actually make me laugh. Yeah, there's like some like awkward body humor and like awkward. Yeah. This is the kind of movie where, like, um, all dialogue is either shouted or whispered. Like, there's, like, yes. no human emotion. People are either talking at top volume or, like, <laughs> oh, especially things calmly. Pass-through is really bad. Yeah. yeah. Like, why are these characters yelling? The same <laughs> phrases over and over again. He too. does. Yeah, there's a lot of repetition. Also, like, the pauses in the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Are very strange. Like, not it's not the way humans talk. There's something interesting with Tommy Wiseau. The room was really funny in an unintentional way. And then Tommy Wiseau was like, actually, I meant it to be a dark comedy. Which, okay, no, you did not. (laughs) But ever since he's tried to be funny and it's like not Mm -hmm. there. Doesn't work, yeah. Like the act is ruined at this point. So with the first two Neil Breen movies with Double Down and Fateful Findings... I feel like he was like trying to make, you know, a real movie. Definitely double down feels that way. Do you think that at a certain point he realized people were laughing at him and is like playing up those parts so that he can keep sending these messages out? Or do you think he's still trying to make good movies? I think it's complicated. I think he had, from what I can tell, he has a very large ego. So I think on the one hand, he likes the success of the movies and it allows him to keep making Movies, so he kind of knows what his shtick is and what people want, but I don't think he's willing to admit to himself that he's the butt of the joke or people mm-hmm. are laughing at him. I think in his mind, it's like, oh, people like my films because they're weird or different. I don't think that he can allow himself to make a bad 
movie in his mind like i also think just like how tightly he closes his fist around his movies i mean we really had to work hard to find these movies without paying for them we had to watch (laughs) painful findings on pornhub that was the only place it was available god what a beautiful like public (laughs) service that pornhub is providing well now they're probably gonna he's probably gonna take it down now that this podcast will air um listen this far yeah throwing the laptop across the room (laughs) (laughs) but i just feel like if you understand that your movies are kind of a joke as long as they're still being watched you don't really have a problem with it so you accept some level of like virality you know allowing people to find these bootleg versions and but it just feels like because he holds on to them so tightly and they're so ridiculously expensive he feels like they are this like worthwhile piece of art. I have no idea if that's true. That's just kind of the sense that I get. Yeah, the fact that he uploaded pass through to archive.org makes me think like the important part to him is getting the message out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that one is the most message heavy of the movies. Yeah. Like, it's telling to me that that's the one that he made public. But see, that that's why Neil Breen feels unique when you're talking about like Tommy Wiseau and Ed Wood and you know, some of these other filmmakers that make so bad they're good kind of movie. He's like, he stands out. It's a different uh, psychology. I don't know what you would call it. I think he nailed it early on. He cares more about the ideology than he cares about the Mm -hmm. craft. Like Ed Wood loves movies and wanted to make movies with his favorite movie stars in them. Mm -hmm. I I don't think this guy loves movies. I think he loves the idea of cleansing the world of (laughs) corporate and politician, you know, abusers. And he loves himself. Yeah. He loves himself so much. But I, I do wonder though, like, it seems like it's kind of caught on this idea of like purposely making something so bad it's good. You know, they had Sharknado and that sort of thing. But I can't really get into those movies because there's something about when a filmmaker is trying to make something good and they completely fail, mm-hmm. but they really put their heart and soul into doing a good job and they are incompetent. That's like more endearing to me than a well-crafted bad movie that sets out to be bad yeah and now i just wonder in the future if we're going to see more films of the sharknado variety where you can't tell anymore like with neil bring like i don't know like if he's in on the joke or not but that is part of the appeal of those movies and i wonder if that will get lost in the future well i think one thing that sets apart movies that are so bad they're good is they're usually from this totally harebrained mind whereas like sharknado is a very carefully calculated bad movie it's a prefabricated I mean, meme right ex- yeah exactly i mean it's within the wheelhouse of like normal production companies whereas like i could not make a neil breen movie but that's why i wonder if you'll see more underground indie filmmakers trying to make a name for themselves by intentionally making a bad movie that will develop this cult following yeah. Like, will that be a tactic in the future to get publicity for your film? I could see that being the case. And I've just emerged from New Orleans Film Fest. Like, and my my goal this year was to not watch studio films that will be in AMC in like a month. Like, I wanted to see no budget movies that aren't going to get distribution. And that was my one chance to see them on the big screen, you know? Mm. And after a week of watching 10 movies, a few of them documentaries, but a lot of them like narrative features where it is just like, friends with a camera like trying to scrap together resources to make the best thing possible it is a little frustrating to see that the one thing from that crop that gets celebrated is you know 
the thing worth laughing at. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's cheaper than ever before to make a movie right now. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to get people to watch it because <laughs> there's so much yeah. content. So, like, there's some kind of appeal, especially to people in their, like, 20s and late teens. And I'm guilty of this in the past to laugh at it. And that is the hook that's selling it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then you have these people like earnestly making this no budget art that goes nowhere in the meantime. And yeah. it, it kind of sucks. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a <laughs> I don't hope this isn't too much of a bummer. I know you probably wanted like a party when you picked the Neil Breen topic. No, well, that's just not what it ended up being. Yeah. yeah. It's not what it is. And, you know, I felt like it is an important part of like cinematic culture that I hadn't caught up with. Um, the last six years, it's been around. It's not accessible. It's not easy. Like I said earlier, you can watch Pass Through on archive.org. You right now can watch Twisted Pair on YouTube, and that was my favorite of the bunch. Uh, which one did y'all watch on Pornhub? Fateful Findings. Yeah, which used to be rentable on Vudu. I swore yeah. I rented, rented that one. Apparently they took it down. Yeah, he's like really on top of whenever there's a stream or link, he immediately reports it. And I, when we were looking, it even says when you look at up on Google, it says it's available in the iTunes store and on Vudu. I went to both those places and it had been taken down. Yeah, it's been down. since removed. Right. And there are a few that are accessible. Otherwise, you're going to pay this man 30 or $40. Don't do that. You don't, I wouldn't recommend <laughs> Yeah, I would not recommend it either. <laughs> We're never going to be the people that say don't fund artists, but maybe in this case, that's safer <laughs> for everyone's Well, he's got his own well-being. successful real estate thing yeah, going sure. on. He doesn't need our money. <laughs> yeah. That's enough spooky Neil Breen talk for me. I don't know about y'all if you have any final thoughts. It was spooky in a way that I wasn't (laughs) anticipating. Yeah, I was not prepared for Breen. (laughs) And then Breen happened. Well, for November, we are going to be talking about rare exports on the website. That's kind of a good middle ground between Christmas and Halloween. Yeah, yeah, it's a good transition. Um, I got to see my Christmas goat, which I was very happy about. (laughs) I love Yolapuki so much. I'm very excited. Me too. It's like a dark fairy tale. If you like that movie Krampus from a few years ago. Yeah. It's along the same lines, but I think this one's even better. Yeah. Uh, It's more like a cult classic in the the making. Krampus almost has that like so bad it's good thing built into it. Mm -hmm. I I like both movies, but Rare Exports feels really genuine in a way. Very And very unexpected developments. It seems like a pretty cookie cutter plot and in some ways it continues to be that but then it just it goes into some wild turns that are wonderful to behold in my opinion hmm. and then on the next episode of the podcast uh Brittany and i will be talking about gully boy which is the uh bollywood eight mile film i've been talking up on this podcast a lot lately. <laughs> oh, i wanted to see that uh if you want to come talk about it, we're doing that one and eight mile oh, i love eight mile i hate Damn. it so maybe maybe what? you should come on yeah really I just hate Eminem. I don't like looking at him or thinking oh, about well, him. Oh, that's true. But yeah. <laughs> it's a good movie. All right. Well, maybe I will join you. Maybe so. So we'll see you with that episode in a couple weeks post Halloween. We'll we'll despookify the uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.